Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the J. Berg Wilk Learning Series for 2017-2018. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion. But we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Valley Beit Midrash would like to thank the Jewish Book Council for their support in bringing Marilyn Paul to our community. For more information, please visit www.jewishbookcouncil.org. Please enjoy the program. So I'm here to talk with you about this gem of our Western spiritual tradition. And we all know what it is. It's Shabbat. But there are so many people who think about Shabbat and say, no way, or it's not possible for me, or I can't. And so I wrote the book because I learned, I sort of fell into Shabbat when I was in graduate school very reluctantly. I was one of many people, sort of a Jew with occasional high holiday attendance. And I had a friend in graduate school who was part of a Havara and who invited me to join Havara. Now, I had gotten quite sick. I was a workaholic. I love to work. I love to get up and work and work until I go to sleep. I like to work around the clock. And working hard that way, I depleted my resources and I became rather sick. I got ill. I couldn't move. I couldn't walk from here to the wall without having to sit down for a rest. Into that situation came this invitation to a Friday night meal. And I, of course, said, no, I'm busy. I'm not coming. I have things to do, much better things to do than go to Shabbat dinner. So my friend invited me again, and I said no again. And finally, the third time, I said, okay, I'll go. He keeps inviting me. He's not letting up. I will go. And I remember walking over to this apartment and really seeing that as I walked into the room, I experienced something that I rarely felt in my highly academic, highly stressful life at Yale in the PhD program. I felt this wave of joy and a sense of uplift and great camaraderie. And people were singing songs I'd never heard before. I did not know how to bless the candles. But by the end of the evening, I felt I'd made new friends. And amazingly enough, I went back just for another experience of Shabbat. 
And little did I know that I would end up years later celebrating Shabbat for a day a week. Now, last year I had an extraordinary year. We moved to Berkeley, California from Boston. We amazingly enough found a house in the Bay Area, but the house was half finished. We had to renovate completely. Not only that, I have a 13-year-old and I was homeschooling my son. But not only that, I was writing this book. And not only that, we had moved and I had to move in and unpack and yes, I'm married, but my husband was busy with work. And not only that, we had to join a new community. People would say to me, I don't know how you get so much done. How do you keep going? You act like you, you work eight days a week. And I said, my secret is Shabbat. Without fail, at Friday, as the sun is going down at dusk, we light candles and everything stops. Everything stops. And that's what Shabbat means. All Shabbat means, lishbot, means stop or cease. But it's the stopping in our world that seems so hard to do. And so when the time came for me to leave New Haven and move on with my life and build my consulting firm, I realized that this part of my life was key to my well-being, just as it was last year. So what is it about Shabbat that is such a blessing? Well, one thing is, it's a time not just a time to slow down. When I talk to people about this idea of slowing down and resting, often people think, well, I'll just answer my email. That's sort of restful. Or I'll check Facebook. That's restful. Or I'll putter. But that's not the idea here. The idea of Shabbat is that we actually change channels. We put our to-do list aside. We stop trying to get anything done. In fact, we stop trying to improve ourselves. We tune into a different a different zone where in our world so much of our lives is about getting things done and making things happen and improving the world. But on Shabbat, it all ceases. And one very powerful aspect of Shabbat is this. It builds a rhythm into your week. So there's a rhythm of do, 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 and then a rhythm of not just doing less, but stopping and paying attention to the remarkable qualities of the world that we are in. We often feel unsatisfied in life. We are taught to go after more. Our world is really about more. And when it's about more, it means that we have an internal sense that nothing is enough. There's an amazing level of unhappiness in this country, and over 37 million are on antidepressants. 
we are the most remarkable achievers. We have contributed so much to the world and we continue to do so. We are innovators, we are creators, we are designers. And yet, many of us feel that there is something missing. Loneliness is increasing in the United States. 25 years ago, people, when asked, said they had two or three or four people to confide in. And now those numbers are going down. We struggle with health issues, stress, overwork, diabetes, and we are in the wealthiest, most remarkable country in the world. And so some people think perhaps this is related to the fact that we don't know how to put the rush and the stress aside. We're, we're suffering. So why keep a Sabbath? Why? What, what would you say? Some of you do. You do, it Craig. Connect to Hashem and to, uh, anchor me. Yes. Why else do we keep a Sabbath or wish we kept Shabbat? Anyone else? It's a time with my community. We're in Dublin together. Yeah. And what you said about the rhythm, you know, very much that that's the way our week goes. You know, like tomorrow we get ready for spot. Yes. We turn off the computers and get into a different mode as best as we can. And I really look forward to it. I have to keep myself from cleaning doing things. Oh, but yeah. But I'm so glad you said that. That you have in some ways we have to refrain from the activities that we do so tidying up and cleaning up, that we have a day off of making that effort. There's something called the blue zones. I don't know if you've heard of them, but the blue zones refer to places on our planet where people regularly live till 90 or 100. And they were researched by a researcher named Dan Butner of National Geographic. There's a blue zone in, in Costa Rica, and one in, on Okinawa in Japan, and one in Ikaria in Greece. There's one in the United States. There's a community that's one of the blue zones where people achieve astonishing longevity in fantastic shape. And there are many things that contribute to this, but one of the things they found in this community which is a community of Seventh-day Adventists, is that most people, when they hear about this, attribute their longevity to a vegetarian diet or to the fact that they stay busy with, with physical work. But there's another thing about them which distinguishes them as a whole town is that they shut down for Shabbat, for Saturday. Friday night and Saturday. So one of the contributing factors to their amazing well-being is 
Shabbat, but what is Shabbat? It includes just what you said, connecting with a deeper sense of meaning and a higher power. It means connecting with people regularly. We had Shabbos meal last week and our 13-year-old son still joins us and it's wonderful. And one of the things I felt while we were together was this sense of just deep sociability. We had nothing to do, we were finishing our meal and we were chatting. I don't even remember what we were chatting about. It may have been skateboarding, but we were all at the table just enjoying each other's company, which is something that we often don't experience. In the rush of people's lives, they don't get to experience that. About a year ago, just at the end of Shabbat, I was sitting in our living room with our son Jonathan, and Jonathan really had gotten to be of an age where he's out, he doesn't so much want to do stuff with us, It was about four o'clock on a Shabbat afternoon, and he and I were just sitting there enjoying each other's company. And in that moment, I thought, I'm so grateful that we have this practice because we are connecting with each other. And so there's something about stopping that enables us to really turn towards one another with more care and more mindfulness. There's a study that came out of the Princeton Theological Seminary. It's a famous study. It's called The Good Samaritan. And The Good Samaritan, in this study, they studied young um, ministers in training. And they gave them an assignment which gave them the feeling that they needed to rush to be to another place. The assignment was to talk about the Good Samaritan. But they were told they were late to give their talk. And here's the amazing thing that happened. In this study, they had a a member of the research team sort of crumpled up on the ground. He was coughing and clearly not well. And the ministers actually rushed and walked over him. 60% of them just, maybe they didn't see him, maybe they didn't care, but they actually just walked on by. Even though they'd just been studying the parable of the Good Samaritan. And so what we learned, what the researchers learned from this is that rushing makes us less empathic and rushing keeps us from connecting. And rushing even keeps us from noticing the people in need around us. And that's very costly. So this is one of the great blessings of Shabbat, as you know is that slowing down and connecting. So when I talk about an oasis in time, I often am talking to people who think, I could never stop for Shabbat. I'm too busy. I have too big a to-do list. I just have too much to do. Don't tell me 
to turn my week into a six-day week and one day off, I need eight days a week. What I tell them is that sixth day, the seventh day, when they slow down and tune into another channel is what totally replenishes them. And I talk about what I call five gateways to creating Shabbat. And in the five gateways, now what are gateways? In this case, it's five gateways which are actions that enable you to really deeply experience Shabbat. You had a question, Sarah. Well, what we were mentioning, you know, before we started, yeah. you know, time to socialize, time to be with people, time to connect, but what if there aren't anybody to connect with? And like, for example, I'm retired and on my own, so my days are all technically Shabbos because I don't have places that I have to be. I don't have mm -hmm. responsibilities. So it's like one day blends into the next. So Shabbos, to me, is no different than Wednesday or Thursday or any other day in, in my world. So how do you differentiate? And also, like I was saying, if you have no one to celebrate Shabbos with, I mean, you know. I think you're asking a fantastic question. Because one of the things that we say is, we, one of the qualities of Shabbat is that it's different from the rest of the week, that we consciously stop doing, as you said, we consciously stop doing housework, even though it's so tempting. And what you're saying is your days run in together, and that quality of things just running together is, doesn't work. It, it makes life sort of just a dull blur. I know one day from the next by the TV show. Yeah. So I interviewed about 60 or 70 people as I tried to learn what is it that enables people to create a Sabbath. And one rabbi in Jerusalem told me that when her kids were young, they had no TV. But on Shabbat, she allowed them to have TV. You think, chas v'chalila, what is she doing? But what she was doing, first of all, was she, she now, she and her husband have five children. She was enabling, they had no TV all week. One, she was enabling them to differentiate the day. She was enabling her and her husband to have a nap. And now they've reversed it. But one of the things I learned from that is that she really understood that part of the idea is differentiating the day. And so that would be something to explore, to experiment with. And one of the principles that I talk about in my book is rather than saying I keep Shabbat or I don't keep Shabbat, is that we start creating this series of experiments. How do we bring more Shabbat into our lives? And what's the next step? What's the next experiment to bring Shabbat into our lives. So one way to do this is to explore these five gateways that I talked about, the five 
things that distinguish Shabbat. So one of them, the first gateway or action that we can take, and you can think about it from your perspective. For example, how the principle number one or gateway number one is plan, protect, and prepare. So those of us who keep Shabbat know that it's impossible to do it without thinking ahead. If you just sort of slam into Friday night, you can't find your candles, and you don't have anyone over, or in your case, perhaps you're watching the same television show, it doesn't feel like Shabbat, and you can't make it into Shabbat. So principle number one is plan, protect, and prepare. And planning means setting aside the time. Even though the time is set aside for us, we set aside the time, starting more or less on Friday at dusk. And we distinguish that, and we plan for it, then we protect it. We make sure that we don't have things that keep us from this sense of differentiation in the week. And then we prepare, and we may prepare by making food or making plans or setting up a different kind of experience for Shabbat. The second gateway is begin and end. So many people set aside their mindful rest time. They sort of begin and then they sort of end. And what I found from speaking with people that one of the brilliant things about Shabbat is that we have a firm beginning and a firm ending. So that when we start, we start. And I'll give you an example. For years, as I said before, I love to work. So I would work right up until Shabbat. I've made, my ideal is to make Friday night meal on Thursday night, and I'm all prepared, and I'm all set, and I'm working, and I've got things to do, phone calls to make, and all of a sudden, it's candle lighting time. And I would say, I have just one more thing. It's what I call the just one more thing syndrome. There's always something else to do before we light candles. So what I've learned from experience is this. The just one more thing syndrome, it doesn't go away. There's always just one more thing to do. And that the beginning requires us with a certain amount of fierceness to say, I'm starting Shabbat and I'm starting now. There, every once in a while I say to myself, I don't want to start Shabbat. I can't stop what I'm doing. But because it becomes a habit, I actually say, okay, I'll light candles, and after dinner, if I really have to, I'll go back to work. But I never do. Even if I talk like that to myself, I never go back to work. Because once I'm in Shabbat, I realize it's just not that important a different part of the brain kicks in. And so that hard start is so important, but equally important is the hard ending. When 
when we light Havdalah candles and we say, that was Shabbat, we're done, and now we're starting the week. And have a good week. And part of that is important is we start and we know we're going to end Shabbat. We allow ourselves that differentiation in time. And so that's sort of principle number two, begin and end. And principle number three is disconnect to connect. Disconnect, unplug, put down our devices, firmly and strongly say, I'm off my screens. And then we connect. And we connect first to ourselves. Often we're so absorbed in our digital world that we don't know where we are anymore. And there's more and more research that's showing that the younger generation now, they're calling Generation I or Generation Z, but that the use of cell phones is so rampant and so frequent that it's actually changing how they think. And this is not new news, but it's becoming more serious. There's actually in Silicon Valley a young man, Tristan Harris, who has an organization called Time Well Spent. And he is creating resources to fight with lawyers and new designs to create a way that makes phones and digital devices less addictive. They're designed to be addictive. It's very hard to stop. But when we stop, we connect to ourselves much more deeply. And it's a little scary, actually. I, I worked with someone who was having trouble putting down their phone. I brought everyone a cell phone sleeping bag tonight. Putting down the phone, it's sort of like putting it down, putting it in a sleeping bag, and stepping away. And then taking a breath. And for many people, there's a moment of emptiness, hands-free, no phone, feeling very disconnected from the digital world, but now more connected to themselves and more connected to the people around them. But as Mike, you said before, maybe more connected to Hashem, more connected to the spiritual world, more connected with an understanding that this world is so much bigger than we can know. It's so valuable to be part of the mystery and the unknowable parts of life. But we don't tune into that when we're on the run. So that's principle number three, disconnect to connect. And the fourth one is slow down to savor. So many people are just moving so quickly and moving and trying to get things done and checking things off their list and just trying to get somewhere or get someplace or speeding or running and then eating fast and not really noticing themselves 
And so slowing down to savor means actually slowing your physical movements. One thing I say to people when they put their phones down is also just slow down for a minute. Really slow down. Our minds are going at a rapid clip. Our bodies are moving quickly. And when we slow down, then we can see, ah, we're here. Here we are with things to do that are totally different from the week and maybe be of service in other ways. And we can savor our food and say our blessings with intense gratitude because we've stopped and we've noticed what a world. We had this funny moment a couple Shabbats ago where we ended up looking at our thumbs. Now, what an extraordinary creation, a thumb. There's something to appreciate. And just imagine for a moment, the Musar teachers, Musar is a practice of personal growth and ethics. The Musar teaches, teachers tell us that if you're not feeling gratitude lately, Here's an exercise they recommend. Imagine your hand with no thumbs. Whoa, that can increase your gratitude right off. Or if that doesn't do it, imagine your arms with no hands. So that one of the things we need to practice all the time, but we often don't have time to, is remembering to be grateful. Remembering what a blessing this is. And that's the fourth principle, slow down to savor. And then the fifth principle is let go of achieving to rest, reflect, and play. So letting go of achieving for someone like me, my whole life has been about achieving. I'm from a, a hotbed of achievement. My dad was a doctor teaching at Harvard Medical School. It's all achievement. But what happens when you let go of achieving? What are you about? Do I matter if I'm not achieving? And so that's a wonderful exploration of just being present as a human. One of the things, I lived in Israel for four years, and one of the things I loved about living in Israel was feeling that just by showing up, I mattered. That every single Jew who arrived in the state of Israel and just showed up mattered. But you know what? It's true for the whole planet. Everyone who shows up matters. Everyone who shows up has a purpose and matter. So just as it was feeling that I mattered in Israel, it's true here. We need everybody. Let go of achieving to rest, reflect, and play. So you might imagine that playing is not one of my specialties. Playing, I, I don't like games. I 
don't go to movies, sort of frivolous. I'm not one of those people who watch Downton Abbey. But you know, I read that play is good for you. And I thought, well, I should be doing more playing. And when my son was about three or four, we were running, we had a kitchen with an island and we were running around the island. He would run this way and I'd run after him and then he'd switch and I'd turn around and run after him the other way. And in the middle of it, I thought, I'm playing. This must be good for me. So that's not the mentality we want to bring into Shabbat. We don't want to be checking off the box of healthy things I'm doing today. I played, check. I did my yoga, check. I did my meditation, check. None of that. We're going to try to enter into this space, this zone of actually noticing there's something in me that wants to play and have fun running around the kitchen island with my son or wants to meditate or wants to do yoga, wants to go to shul and daven because that is deep soul nourishment. So now we have something here that restores us to ourselves. And yet for so many people, it's very hard to make happen. So it seems as if we have a fairly Shabbos observant group here. And I was going to ask you to form pairs and talk to each other about what's your next step for Shabbat? What's next for deepening? Is it more time in nature? Is it more time learning? Is it less time even thinking about housework? <laughs> so turn to somebody. This could be a three, or here's a pair. We have two, four, six. Is that good? And just take a couple minutes to talk about what's your next step for your Shabbat. Find someone to talk to. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklowitz. I hope you've been enjoying and learning something new from this podcast. If you have a moment, please consider making a contribution at www.valleybaitmidrash.org. Thank you so much, and now back to the learning. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to draw your conversations to a close. And I've given you each a cell phone sleeping bag. And I want to talk for a minute just about the power of experimenting, starting with rituals. Of course, we have lighting candles, and that's wonderful. And we sing Shalom Aleichem, and we have our challah, and we have our good food. But it's also very, very special to think about other rituals that help you step into Shabbat and remind you that this the quality of this day is different from the quality of the other six days. So that's why I gave you the cell phone sleeping bag. It's a tiny little ritual that for some people, it gives them a place to put their phone. 
for other people, they burn a little incense. And of course, we have wine, and that's wonderful. Or they sing a song. So when we sing Shalom Aleichem, we sing it with vigor, and we remember that the angels are coming to visit our Shabbat table. But these rituals, any type of ritual that we can do to help us stop and slow down is vital to creating that day. So some of the things I say to people who are just thinking about creating Shabbat are, why? Why Shabbat? Why do you really want this? Because it's meaning that powers a lot of our motivation. Another thing I ask people to think about is, what would you really like to do on a Shabbos day? And while for many of us, we do go to shul and we share good meals, but it's really a day that is, I think, designed to re-inspire us to ve'yinafash, to deepen our soul's experience of life. And so this is a wonderful time to say, what is Shabbat for me? How can I deepen my soul's experience of life? So for some people, it's a time to... I'm reminded of a story about a yoga and meditation teacher who wrote to me, I work with people on time management and uh, being more effective. I have My first book is called it's hard to make a difference when you can't find your keys. And so she, she called me and she said, I'm a yoga and meditation teacher, but I rush from one thing to the next. So when I'm meditating, I feel like I'm rushing through my meditation and I feel like I'm rushing through my yoga. But on Shabbat, we have time spaciousness. So that's a time that she can really slow her practices down. I read a book once where it advised that we take a Sabbath moment, that we stop in the middle of our days and take a deep breath. And I thought, that's okay, Sabbath moment, good idea. But it's nothing compared to a whole day. And boredom... So one of the things we struggle with, and I have an ADD son, boredom is one of the factors of Shabbat. And many teachers teach us that boredom is part of the path to a deeper life experience. If we can tolerate our boredom and slow our minds down, we can do what so many teachers keep telling us to do, which is come into the present moment and use all our senses to enjoy the present moment. And then there is the issue of experimenting, trying things out. You know, nobody practices Shabbat the same way. I interviewed 60 people and everyone does this differently. And it's not just in the reform world or the conservative or the renewal world. 
in the Orthodox world, people do things differently. So experimenting gives us a chance to try something new. Change your approach. See how it impacts you. One of my challenges is that I fell in love with Shabbat when I was living in Israel years ago, and then I fell in love with my husband. Now, my husband grew up in an Orthodox home, and by the time he left his home in New York with his Holocaust refugee parents, he'd had enough. I think he said, no more Shabbat for the rest of my life. And I said, Shabbos, I love Shabbat. So when we met, at first, I remember our first phone call, and, and I said, he said, well, would you like to go out next Friday night? And I said, no, I don't go out Friday nights. And if that's going to be a problem, let's stop right now. And he said, no problem. And so we fought over Shabbat, what to do and what not to do for the next 10 years. We did get married. And one of our deals was we would go to shul every other week. And I thought, that's a huge compromise. We'll have Shabbat his way, then we'll have Shabbat my way. And I made this discovery that Shabbat keeps coming back. You do it one week, and it's going to come again the next week. That didn't quite work. But the amazing thing I will say 25 years later is we have found a way to enjoy Shabbat together. And I'm astounded that I wrote this book because I was living with someone who was so against it. But little by little, we found a way, experiment by experiment, to see what didn't drive him crazy and then what didn't drive me crazy. So part of married life is finding ways to not drive each other crazy. And now we have mostly a good time. And a miracle that I will share with you is we went away last weekend and my son was home with some of his friends. So I got photographs, Motzei Shabbos. He had set the Shabbat table. He'd gotten all dressed up. So had they. Put a kippah on his head. He'd gone out to buy challah. I never knew this about him. But when we were away, he kept going. So even though my husband and I have fought about Shabbat and we have found a way, it's continuing at least for one Shabbat to the next generation. So I want to thank you so much for coming tonight and for listening to my talk and spending your evening here. And now I'd love to open it up for questions. Yeah. And, uh, actually, our oldest child ended up, we're, we were conservative, we are conservative, but um, our oldest son became very orthodox. Uh-huh. As Cronin felt. But our other two children are not 
not too observing of this. Uh -huh. But <coughs> when they were growing up, it was difficult because we always made them go to shul, and we didn't allow things on Shabbat. And so Shabbat came became for for them to some extent it was what they couldn't do because right. they didn't really other than the rabbis' kids, there weren't that many other conservative kids yeah. who were in that same position. So yeah. we didn't have that. And so for us now, retired, it's much easier. We love Shabbat. Yeah. They shul with our friends. Yeah. We relax and, you know. But, but for the kids, it was difficult. Yeah. I, I keep trying to, you know, hope that they'll, they'll find Shabbat somehow. And, and give yeah. themselves a break, you know. Because I know, yeah. I, I guess a lot of people with all the crazy tech addictions, yeah. there certainly is a lot of talk about taking because yeah. I think it's so extreme for some people. It's like they, they better do yeah. that or, you know, they're just going to crack up. So I don't know what, what they'll come up with in terms of their, their time off. And that's one of the reasons why I wrote this book. It's really for people who sort of hover around Shabbat somewhere and can't see a way in and actually may not want it to be very religious. And one of the things I began to see with my friends, all my Jewish friends who weren't keeping Shabbat, it was like, you are missing one of the greatest blessings of our tradition. But like my husband, had an allergy for various reasons. You know, he just couldn't bear the idea of actually bringing those traditions into our home. And little by little, we've worked it out. But I know so many people who hear the word Shabbat or Sabbath, and it's like, no. If you go to Israel, visit our grandchildren, we see the Shabbat experience, which is totally centered in ritual. Yeah. Uh-huh. It's not Shabbat I want to really do, but it's an interesting experience. And the little ones there. So it, it's a, you're, you're talking about a Shabbat that's not as much anchored in ritual. Right. And so we see the full range. Yeah. I see this sort of, I think there's a journey. You know, I'm hoping to attract people who think sort of like this, I'll be more productive if I take a day off. That's not what Shabbat is about at all. Shabbat is not about more productivity. But for some people, that's a way in. For, so this is more like a first step. And then slowly, they might come a little closer to this idea of a day to celebrate the world that Hashem created for us and created us to be in and be part of that. I think a little bit of the, the minutia of observance of Shabbat scares people too. Yeah, I think so too. I mean, I mean, the most minor things, like not tying a knot, not doing yeah. this, not, I mean, I'm talking about the minutia, minutia. Yeah. I mean, no, I, minucha, I, minucha. Minucha, minucha. I mean, I grew, I mean, I grew up conservative. Uh huh. You know, went to show Friday night. We walked. 
because, you know, we went driving Shabbos. Went to shul Saturday morning. Again, we you know, walk, we drive, had a Shabbos meal, it was cold meal out of the fridge, of course, you know, it didn't cook. But for some reason, we had the routine afterwards walking downtown and shopping. <laughs> Shoppers. Shop- <laughs> I mean, we, we drive, we walked. That wasn't original. <laughs> that wasn't walk, original, I thought that was good. I heard from you. I mean, it, I was thinking about it as you were talking about yeah. the routines that we had, that I had growing up, you know, it was a very natural act, a natural one more so than a forced. Yeah. You know? And you also asked in some ways, conservative, follow, we were reading that, you know, they say follow ritual and then believe to follow. Yeah, yeah. You know, sadly, I think for a lot of, I did not grow up with Shabbat. So for me, it was fresh, and I had a direct experience of living with someone who grew up with a very painful Shabbat in the, River, in the Riverdale Jewish community. And um, so we, the, the book partly came out of having to work it out and saying, how do you, in this world, find the best and let go of what doesn't work? And I can't say to anyone else, how to find the best of it. But what I do say to people is little by little, I encourage people to start an hour at a time and just try stopping, try put their devices down for an hour at a time. And even people who aren't extremely addicted, just sort of like your run-of-the-mill modern millennial, um, it's not easy. And so... And they, it has to be a practice. This whole, you put it down and then you sit with the discomfort. It's uncomfortable for a lot of them to stop moving and put their screens down. And there was a study at the University of Maryland where a journalism professor gave his students an assignment to go without their phones for 24 hours. And they couldn't do it. And I realized from reading the study very carefully is that they couldn't do it because they didn't prepare. They used their phones to tell time. So you have to get a watch. And they use their phones to make plans. So you have to communicate and make a plan with a plan B in case it doesn't work. And if you plan ahead, you can put your phones down. But it doesn't work to just say, okay, 24 hours, no phone. You have to think ahead. And a lot of them say, oh, I'm addicted because I can't put down my phone, but what they really are is not aware that they have to plan. And then they can put their phone. A lot of them don't have landlines as an alternative problem. Yeah. It's their only way to communicate. Yeah. Also, they stopped for Shabbos. If they had a, if they had a landline, they would have, it wouldn't fit in the bag, but <laughs> <laughs> you'd have to get a bigger sleeping bag. Or you get a coat, you lay a blanket over the landline. I know people who do that with their computer screens. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Especially because it's municipal. I mean, we didn't even answer the phone from the landline, of course. Yeah. Well, I so they unplugged. They unplugged their phone. Yeah. I actually like we, to see my phone on shops because it's a chance, time for me to call people. Absolutely. I don't see that as yeah. 
But you probably, I may be wrong about this, but you probably have the capacity to make a phone call and then when it's over, put it down and you don't find yourself playing video games oh, no, or checking phone. Facebook. No, I'm just, I use the regular yeah. I'm not addicted to my phone. I yeah. Yeah. So that's one of the things I write about. For some people, Shabbat is their only time that they have the time for those long phone calls with friends that we all need. So I wanted to just, there's lots of people doing this, re-envisioning how to take, how to step off the treadmill. I call it off the clock and off the hook. And I feel like we all have to work together to learn how to do this. At different stages, there are different challenges, but that this is, we must find ways to stop going, going, going. There's an ad for Delta that I like so much, and it's, it's right over my city, and it says, the Delta person, all go and no stop. And I thought, no one is like that. And our problem is we go, 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 go till we collapse. And part of what we really need to do is stop before we collapse and stop before we burn out and stop as before we get sick to take care of ourselves and take care of our relationships and take care of what really matters. And it's very odd, but somehow in the non-stopness of things, what really matters can disappear. We don't get to what really matters. So thank you for coming tonight. Thank you so much. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetmidrash.org and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.